Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, for those of you who are new, we're in the fifth week of a series, and as you can tell, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I'm not writing this down because I think we all have short memories, but because it really is the central fact of all of human history that Jesus, the Son of the living God, plus nothing in our lives equals everything. I'm actually going to put a little exclamation point on that today. And in our first week, uh, just a quick review, we read all four uh, chapters of the letter to the Colossian Christians written by the Apostle Paul. And at that time we said that Paul had never met the Colossian believers. And, and actually many of you have these books uh, that, that are all summer long. We're going through 14 weeks on Colossians. And we read through it. And then the second week uh, I said something about what happens when Jesus comes into our life. And, and the message title that week was Immediate Change which means that the Bible calls it being born again or saved. It happens in an instant when Jesus Christ comes into our life and becomes our Savior, which means He saves us from sin and death, and our Lord, which means He becomes the owner of our lives. But that isn't the end of it. That's just actually the beginning. There's supposed to also be lasting change. And Paul, in that first passage from uh, Colossians chapter 1, the first few verses said, it actually is bearing fruit in Christians. In other words, we are supposed to see actions that look like Jesus in our life. Over time, it takes time as the Holy Spirit becomes more and more in charge of our lives, we become more and more like Jesus. And and that fruit is actions. Light and salt, Jesus called it. Light to dispel the darkness in our world and salt which preserves that which is dying. And the world is dying. This world is passing away. That's what the Bible teaches. In any case, the next week, Pastor Brad did an excellent job of telling why spiritual growth matters. It's not enough to be born again. There, there needs to be growth. And why? Is Because once we know Jesus or know God, and then we start to grow in God, what happens is we get to go out into the world and live those lives that we were created to live. And Paul says in Ephesians 2 that there were good deeds created for us to do before the foundation of the earth. And we're supposed to live in those so that the world will know that Jesus is really God. And then last week... The message title was simply, Jesus equals everything, or Jesus is everything. And the reason for that was just, Colossians 1.15 makes an incredible claim. It says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. The visible, the, the, in the flesh, that's what incarnation means, image, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus came to the earth. He is God, fully God, the invisible God that we can see. And we said last week that Jesus holds everything together, that he created everything, and that truth changes everything forever. And that's why we focused on that last week. And and after we know that, as we've been saying every single week, and we're going to say it every single week, is that when we go out into the world, people ought to be able to see that in us. And last week was Father's Day, and I mentioned about my dad and how he had a problem with Jesus because he didn't see Jesus in the people that said they were following Jesus. And so we want to follow Jesus in a way that people can see him in us. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to turn, if you have your book, page 14, we're gonna, and if you don't have a book and you'd like one, just raise your hand because somebody will bring you one. All right? If you're new or if you forgot your book or you just haven't been here for a while, it's pa- page 14, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 2, 5. And if you look on page 15, it says that the message title is God's Secret Plan. 
Now, the word secret can mean a lot of different things, and I'm using it in a very specific way today. It's the second definition of secret in dictionary.com, and it goes like this. Kept from the knowledge of any but the initiated or privileged. You may remember, if you were here the first week of the series, that I mentioned that the Apostle Paul primarily was writing to the, the Colossian Christians because of a heresy, which is a false teaching about God called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, uh, it, it actually believes that there's hidden knowledge or a secret, and the secret is only known to those who are initiated or the privileged. And, and so what was infiltrating into the Colossian church was this group of people who said, we have a secret, and, and the secret is about God, and, and we'll tell you if you'll join our group. And so Paul, he, he did something really funny. You know how when people have a secret now, oh, I have a secret? You know what? You know how you get rid of that? You just tell everybody what the secret is. And so Paul is going to tell the people the secret today. And he's going to tell us the secret. It's God's secret plan. And I'm going to tell you it's the take-home point. For those of you who are new, we seek to make one point here every week. And here it is. Jesus is God's secret plan. And you're all disappointed right now. You thought it was something bigger than that. It's called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. How could it be anything but Jesus? But that's what Paul's going to tell us. He's going to tell us that Jesus is God's secret plan, and he's going to tell us specifically what that means for our everyday lives. And, and as we, before we get into that, I, I want to tell you a couple of little quick things. Number one is, I'm going to do something I do every now and then, and that is I'm going to go beyond the New Living Translation, which is the translation of the Bible that we usually use here at New Life, and, and I'm going to go back to a more basic uh, intentional translation of the Greek. And, and the reason we use the New Living Translation, some people have asked me that over the years, why the New Living? Well, it's a very good dynamic equivalent translation. And for those of you who don't care, just you can t- shut, up, uh, shut your ears for a couple minutes or, or you could listen. But a dynamic equivalent translation takes the word-for-word Greek or Hebrew and changes it into an understandable English. For instance, if I said to you, I down the street walked, you would know what I meant, right? But that's not how we say that in English. We say, I walked down the street. But in Greek, as in Spanish, the word order doesn't really matter. And so if in the King James, it might say, I down the street walked. So the, the, King, the New Living Translation says, I walked down the street. It makes it easier to understand. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do the easier to understand translation, but we're also going to go back in a couple of cases to the more basic Greek because I want you to see some of the things you learned as you were growing up, especially King James users, uh, made things a little harder to understand. I'm going to explain that. And a couple of times, the, the Greek actually brings out a few nuances that I think are helpful for us as we're looking into this secret. Now, the other thing I need you to know is God doesn't want you to have uh, to worry about secrets. God has told us every secret that we need to know about except for one. There's one secret God is keeping, and that secret is when is Jesus coming back? You see, when Jesus was ready to go up into heaven, the disciples said, okay, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom now? In other words, are you going to make Israel the chief nation in the world? Are you going to put all of the sin and all of the problems and all of the other political powers down now? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know. Not for me to know. And Jesus is the Son of God. He said, it's only for my Heavenly Father to know. So that's the one secret God is going to keep from us. But here's what happens. You probably do this all the time. I do. I open up the Internet, you know, and, and you have this little thing on your Internet. Little, you know, the title says, Hidden Treasures of the Bible Revealed. Or, Great Prophet Reveals God's Long Buried Secrets. If you have something like that, you should delete them. Run away like your hair's on fire. Because the problem is especially if it tells you the exact day and hour when Jesus is coming back. 
because nobody knows the exact day and hour. Here's the thing. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus, especially when stuff happens like what happened on Friday, says, oh, man, Jesus is coming back soon. No kidding. Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back soon because 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit came to the church in the book of Acts, chapter 2, you can read about it if you want to write that down in your little page where it says message notes and look it up later. The apostle Peter was asked, whoa, what's going on here? And he said, oh, it's just, it's just the fulfillment of the prophet Joel who said in the last days. So the last days started 2,000 years ago. So are we in the last days? Yes. Are we in the last days of the last days? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I do know. Every time Jesus talked about the last days, he ended up by saying this, be ready. Be ready. I'm coming back, so be ready. Well, what does that mean? It means that we should be worshiping God. It means that we should be following Jesus. It means that we should be living passionately in the power of the Holy Spirit as witnesses so that those who are out there in the world who haven't yet experienced the life that is truly life through Jesus can experience that life. Undoubtedly, the events of the world around us make us Make it very clear that all was not well and Jesus is coming back soon. So here's the thing. Between the time Jesus comes back or the time when we die, that's the only time we have to trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. As long as, I always say it this way, as long as you can fog up a mirror, you have the opportunity to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord uh, or until he comes back. After that, the choices are over. But right now, we have a choice, and that's why I spend as much time as I can getting people ready. I mean, whether it's here on Sunday morning or Saturday night or whether it's out there in the world, wherever I am, I'm always trying to figure out how can I help somebody come to know Jesus so they'll be ready when he comes back. In fact, in my daily walks, most of them, four or five days a week at least, I go down to Rails and Trails, and there's this guy. I've met him. He's usually walking one way, and I'm walking the other way. I have about 20 seconds a day with him, and you know what my goal is? My goal is to find out if he knows Jesus, if he doesn't, to get him to know Jesus. In 20 seconds a day, I mean, it's like, hey, man, the bugs aren't so bad today because it's pouring down rain. Okay, I'll buy that. You know, hey, how, how you doing? a little late today, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I am, sort of, yeah. I'm a little early. You're a little early. But that's not much. But I'll tell you what, I'm going down there every day. And my goal is that I want to know if he knows Jesus. And if he doesn't, that he will. Or at least that he can reject Jesus um, because maybe he doesn't know. So that's, that's what I, I hope that when Jesus comes back, if I'm still alive, I'm telling somebody about him in that moment. And I think that that's what we all ought to want to do. And, and the thing is, when somebody comes around telling us, hey, there's a new secret, that's Gnosticism. We don't need any new secrets because God revealed all of them that we really need to know already. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look into Colossians 1. We're going to see what the secret is. So we can tell people out there so it won't be any secret. Before we do that, let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are and that you have revealed everything we need to know to live a life of meaning and purpose, a life that's abundant as your son Jesus called it, and and a life that's truly life. And so today, God, as we open up your word and as we look at Colossians chapter 1, 24 to verses 2, 5, God, we pray that you will show us what the secret is so that we can proclaim it openly. And my prayer is that every person will have the opportunity to hear that good news, that secret that Jesus is God and he's in us and he's the hope of our glory in this generation. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
So, Paul writes, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Now, the New Living Translation actually does an excellent job of translating Paul's intent in this passage. Because if you, were grown, if you had grown up on the King James Version as I did, this is something like what you would have read. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings on behalf of you and fill up the things lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. Now, when you read that, the things lacking in, of the afflictions of Christ, it sounds like when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't enough. That, that there's something else has to happen, and, and maybe Paul can suffer so that the, the, the afflictions that, that should have happened in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross will be fulfilled. That is not at all what Paul is saying. Paul knew that when Jesus died on the cross, it was over. In fact, Paul, uh, Peter, Jesus said on the cross when he died, it is finished, complete, perfect, over. I don't have to do anything else, and nobody else has to do anything else. I've already died, Jesus said, and I, he rose, and he reigns in power over us. So Paul isn't saying Jesus didn't do enough to save us from sin and death. What he's saying is, even after Jesus rose from the dead, during this time when we're living on the earth, we're going to have to suffer. Because when people who follow Jesus tell the truth, love people in the name of Jesus, there are going to be repercussions. And those repercussions are going to be physical. They're going to be emotional. They're certainly going to be spiritual. Because the devil does not want the word of God, the truth of God, the secret to get out that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, it's all that's necessary for us to live the life that's truly life. And so every era of human history, when Christians have been persecuted for their faith, in that area where the Christians were persecuted, the church grew like crazy. In fact, there's an old statement from a long, long time ago. It says, the blood of the martyrs, those who died for Jesus, is the seed of the church. When people die, Jesus is glorified and people come to know him. Even when people suffer, maybe it's just ridicule, which we're going to do that if we follow Jesus in this day and age. You know, people come to know him as we do that in the kind of way that Jesus did in truth and love. More about that later. Okay, so then it says... God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. There it is. You see, there's the secret. The message has been kept secret, it says, but a more literal translation reads this way, of which I myself became a minister according to the stewardship of God given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And it says the mystery. The Greek word is mysterion. So the secret is the mystery. And, and the thing is, the word mysterion, that's the word that they use in the New Testament to talk about the Lord's Supper. The sacrament is called the mysterion. Because when we receive the Lord's Supper, we don't exactly know what's going on there. I mean, sure, we're eating bread and juice, it represents Jesus, but, but there's something deeper going on there. And so that's why, anyway, that's a tangent. But having been hidden from the generations, but now has manifested to his saints. And it says saints there, not stained glass people, but you and me. The church, as the New Living Translation translates it. But it says, the secret or the mystery was hidden for generations. How many generations? Well, ever since the beginning of time, the beginning of human beings on the earth, until Jesus came, it was a secret. Now, you say, well, there was the law of Moses. Yes, there was. But with the law of Moses, people only understood God imperfectly. But when Jesus came, we could understand God fully. Because when Jesus walked on the earth, he spoke truth, and that's the truth of God. He showed love, that's the love of God. He, he meted out justice, the justice of God. And, and you might not think about this very much, but he also showed the wrath of God. 
when he cleared the temple. Remember when he cleared the temple? Because the money changers were making a mockery of what God said should happen there. And so Jesus was the, the visible image of the invisible God. So there's no more secret is what Paul is saying. And he reminds the Colossians now in the next verses, he tells us what the secret is. So nobody, nobody should fall under the spell of Gnostics in any era because now here's the secret. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Here it is. You know, whenever somebody's telling you a secret, what do you do? You lean in a little bit, right? So here's the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Now, again, that's a great translation. But if you grew up on the King James or the NIV, you remembered it this way. Who is Christ in you? The hope of glory. Well, what what does that mean? Well, what it means is Jesus Christ is for everyone. The Jews believed that God was only for the Jews. And even Jesus, when he came to the earth, he focused on the Jews. But when Paul was called, God said to Paul, you're going to minister to the Gentiles. That's all the non-Jews. And so now Jesus Christ is for everyone. That's the secret, which now is not a secret, obviously, that Jesus Christ can be for every person who's alive. And, And one of the reasons I love the Bible is that it answers every question that we really need to know an answer to for living out this life. And the most important one is that through Jesus Christ, God became flesh and showed himself to us. The Apostle John may have said it best of all in his letter or his gospel. He said, the word that is God became flesh and lived among us. We call it the incarnation. Carne is meat, actually, or flesh. That's like a little bit maybe more base translation than we need. You know, God became meat, but God became flesh and lived among us. And as I said last week, this idea that the invisible God could become visible could be in the man Jesus Christ, it's the most outrageous idea in all of human history. And if it's true, it changes everything forever because it means that God truly did love us and truly does love us and has no desire for us ever to be separated from Him. And, you know, the, the Colossian Gnostics were infiltrating the church and they wanted to say, hey, we have a secret. <laughs> Paul's like, there's no secret. This is not a secret. Jesus is for everyone. God is for everyone. Having him in in you is the hope of glory. Now there's a a phrase, the hope of glory. What does that mean? Well, I looked up the word hope and I found a really good definition for it. It says this, hope is the firm conviction or belief that we want can be had. You you know what it means to be hopeless. It means that you want something, but it's never going to happen. But hope means you want something and you believe that it could possibly happen. And what Paul is saying is that when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, when we're born again, when we're saved, what happens is we have a hope of glory. Well, what's glory? That's a tough one. There there are like so many words that that are in the definition of glory, but I want to tell you what some of them are. Renown, honor, praise, fame, splendor, majesty, magnificence, and prosperity. Paul tells us Jesus Christ living us is our hope of experiencing all of those things. And we can experience them to a measure here and now on the earth, but one day we're going to experience them in the fullness, in the presence of the glorified God. It's just incredible. So the Gnostics thought they had secrets that were worth keeping and that they would only be given to those who were initiated or privileged. And Paul said, really? You think you have a secret worth keeping? Well, listen to this one. God. 
the God of the universe, came in the man Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and he went to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit so that every person who ever lives can have that experience in our lives. The Gnostic wanted their information to be just for a few. Paul wanted everyone to hear it. In fact, that's what he says next. He says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. In the original Greek, Paul said uh, that he warned and taught everyone. In fact, he used the same word three times, every person. And here's what he says. Whom we announce warning every person and teaching every person in all wisdom in order that we may present every person. Perfect, mature, complete in, before God in Christ. The Greek word there for perfect, mature, complete is teleos. In fact, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he used the word teleos. It's perfect, it's complete, it's finished. And Paul is saying, Jesus came so we could one day stand in front of God and we could be perfect, mature, and complete. Not in ourselves, in him. And, and the thing is, if we really believe that, if we grasp that, see, I mean, if we grab onto that secret, our lives are going to be radically different all the time. As Pastor Brad said, when we know God, and we can know Him in Jesus Christ, we grow in God as we continue to read His Word and pray and do the things that God calls us to do, then we can go out there and we can be, not we aren't gods, we can be Jesus for people. And that's what we're called to be, to go out there and live in such a way that people experience Jesus Christ and they can get to know Him. And they can come to know him as Savior and Lord in their lives. And their lives will be radically changed forever. That's the plan. And from the day I planted New Life more than 14 years ago to this very day, that's always been in the front of my mind or in the back of my mind. And specifically, Paul's goal, that we will stand perfect, mature, complete in Christ one day. Because I know that I'm going to stand in front of Jesus someday. And I know that all of you, whether you believe it or not, you're going to stand in front of Jesus one day. And as I said during the announcements this morning, my job as your pastor is to make that day the best day of your eternity. Because it can only be one of two things. The best day of your eternity or the worst. Because you're either going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master's kingdom, or depart from me, I never knew you. Those are the only choices. And so that's what Paul was talking about. One day, Paul said, we're going to stand perfect, mature, and complete before God in Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul warned, not just the people he knew, but even people he didn't know. And here's what he says. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan again, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The New Living Translation says that Paul worked and struggled so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within him. It's a good translation of the original Greek. But here's what I'd like a little bit tighter translation. It says, to this end I labor agonizing agonizing according to the work of him working in me in power. If we want to grow as Jesus followers, if we want to stand in front of God one day, perfect and mature and complete in Jesus Christ, it's going to be hard work. God never calls anyone and says to that person, hey, I have a little job for you. It's not going to be so hard. In fact, you're probably not going to even have to readjust your priorities. It's only going to take maybe five or ten minutes a day. It's going to be simple and easy. Jesus said, if any man, any woman, 
wants to come after me, let that one deny himself, deny herself, take up the cross daily and follow me. You see, following Jesus is not a hobby, it's a life's work. Following Jesus is not a hobby, it's not a weekend endeavor, it's a life's work. And the fantastic news, this is such fantastic news, that while we're seeking to follow God, he is in us. That Christ in us, right? The hope of glory. I love the way the Apostle Paul said it in Philippians, the letter to the Philippians. You can write this down. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul said this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our work. We're working because God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, while we're doing the best we can, which is never going to be good enough, God is at work in us, which is always going to be good enough. And so God will do his part, and we have to do our part. Here's the thing we need to know. God will never do our part. He never will. And we can't do God's part, but God will always do his part when we do our part. And the thing is, if you read this book, And we divide it up into what we call the Old Testament, which is two-thirds of it, and the New Testament, which is one-third of it. And you read the two-thirds, it's called the Old Testament, you will find some superstars in there, right? Like Elijah. And and what you'll find out is the Spirit of God was on Elijah. And because the Spirit of God was on or in Elijah, what could he do? (laughs) What couldn't he do? He did miracles. King David, you know, when he was a teenager, the Spirit of God came and rested in his life for the rest of his life. But they were special people. In the Old Testament, it was just special people that that happened. But not so much in the New Testament. Because on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, there were 120 believers waiting and praying. And the Holy Spirit came to all of them. And then they went out and they told the gospel to everybody that was there. Thousands of them. 3,000 people trusted God and the Holy Spirit came on all of them. And we we were told by biblical scholars that in the first year of the church's history, just in Jerusalem, 20,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and they received the Holy Spirit and was within all of them. That's probably more than all the people in the whole Old Testament period. And that's for us today. I mean, that's the secret. It's not a secret. The Holy Spirit, that's Jesus Christ working in us. It's not just for preachers, not just for youth pastors, not just for missionaries. It's for you. It's for everyone. And Paul told the Colossian people that he had never met, that he wished that they could know the great agony that he had on their behalf and the ones in Laodicea. And and in the original Greek, it says this, and to those who have not seen my face in the flesh. I love that statement. There are people who have not seen our face in the flesh, but we've shared the gospel with them. We've sent them, you know, I mean, on the internet, you can send a lot of stuff. We've sent them money. We've started churches in places we've never been. They haven't seen our face in the flesh, but we are agonizing. Some of you have. Hopefully all of us are agonizing over this matter that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is so valuable that we're going to devote our lives to it, regardless of what our daily, you know, whether we're in school or whether we're, you know, teachers or whether we're carpenters, whatever we are. In fact, we're going to find out in Colossians 3.17, one of my favorite verses, whatever we do in word or deed, we're supposed to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving God thanks to God the Father through him. So the secret plan is that those who have not seen him in the flesh, in order that their hearts may be comforted, being joined together in love, and for all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the full knowledge of the mystery of God, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. There is the word knowledge. It's gnosis in the Greek. No more secrets. Jesus Christ is the one who had all the secrets. 
All the wisdom and knowledge, all the secret stuff, all the gnosis, Jesus has it. And Paul is sharing it here, and Peter shares it in his letters, and John shares it in his letters, and Jesus walked on the earth, and you can read in this book in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a little bit in Acts, a little bit in Revelation, Jesus' own words. The secret is, there's no secret. Jesus is God's secret. Do you see why this series is called Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Because Jesus plus nothing is everything. When we believe that, when we let that transform us from the inside out, everything changes forever. And the, the thing is, you may have come here alone today. And you may go home alone today. But you're not alone. <laughs> We're never alone. There are a lot of people right now who are thinking they're alone. But if Jesus Christ is in you, you're not alone. Martin Luther said this, God in one person is a majority. Actually, God is a majority. The one person is just along for the ride. And that's, what, that's always been the truth. It's always going to be the truth. So Paul wraps up the section by saying this, I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. So let's look at that. More literal translation real quickly. This I say in order that no one may deceive you with persuasive speech. For if indeed I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit. I am rejoicing with you and am seeing the order of your lives and the firmness of your faith in Christ. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I don't want these Gnostics to come in with this supposedly secret knowledge and deceive you. And deceit is is a lie that's wrapped up in the truth, so it looks like it's true, but it's really a lie. And if Paul didn't want that to happen in his day, how much more do we not want it to happen in our day? Because Paul saw, he wasn't ever there, but he saw through Epaphras' eyes that the Colossian believers had a good start. They were living the life in faith, but somebody was coming in and trying to deceive them. And no matter how good of a start we have, there are people that are going to try to deceive us. One of the most challenging realities of my life as your lead pastor is that the deception is at your fingertips in your life. Turn on your phone, turn on your computer, turn on your TV, and you see deception all over the place. Now, here's the thing. I want to talk especially to those of you in the room who are under 30 years of age today. Now, all of you listen, but if you're under 30 years of age, I'm speaking specifically to you because in your lifetime... In your lifetime, deception has happened at the level of words. It always does. It always starts with words. What did Jesus or what did the devil say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? You see, the devil got Adam and Eve to, to think that what God said wasn't what God said. And so what happens throughout history is the devil uses words to convince us. That something that's a lie is the truth. And I'm going to take four words, just four words this morning. There are a whole lot more we could do this with, but we're just going to take four. The word acceptance, the word tolerance, the phrase getting along, and the word love. And I'm going to show you something about those words. When I was a little boy, the word acceptance did not mean agreement. To accept something didn't mean to agree with it. I mean, I could sit down with a Buddhist and talk about his religion, and he would talk with me about my faith, and I could accept what he said, but I didn't agree with it. But in our day, if you're under 30, when you read the word acceptance in a book, what you hear, because of what you've been taught, is that means you agree. We, we need to show acceptance equals agreement. No, it doesn't. Acceptance means that we understand. Acceptance means that we've heard. Acceptance means that, okay, 
That's an interesting point of view. I, I think it's wrong, but that's an interesting point of view. Then the next word is tolerance. Now, tolerance is the word that's really been skewed. Tolerance comes from the same root as the word tolerate. And I'm going to use a little illustration from my growing up years again. I had a little brother named Ken, still have him. And uh, when we were growing up, I tolerated him. Tolerance in our day means acceptance. You see, I accept you. I to- tolerance means I accept. I didn't accept my brother Ken. I mean, he stayed in the same bedroom as I did, and I just tolerated him. You stay in your half, I'll stay in mine. Right? I had to tolerate him. He was my brother. Tolerance does not mean acceptance, but that's what it means. When you hear the word tolerance, and you see it in a textbook, tolerance means I accept. No, it doesn't. It means that I will get along with you. Now, there's the next phrase, getting along. What's getting along mean? Well, getting along used to mean, like, here I'll use my little brother again. There were six boys in Gypsy, six boys in Gypsy growing up that were my age. I love baseball. Four of those boys always wanted to play with Tonka trucks. One of them was my brother Ken. I could convince him <laughs> to play baseball. I needed to get along with my brother Ken so I could play baseball. And actually, sometimes the four boys that wanted to play with Tonka trucks, I would get along with them. I would play Tonka trucks for a while if they would agree to play baseball with me. You see, I didn't agree with Tonka trucks. I'm nothing against Tonka trucks. I just hated them when I was growing up. I love baseball. And so I got along with those folks. I didn't agree. See what I'm saying? But our culture says to, toler- to tolerate means to agree. To get along means to agree. Now, the last word is the most skewed word of all in our culture, the word love. On Friday night, on Friday night, I was watching the news after the Supreme Court decision, and there was a big parade in Pittsburgh, big party in Pittsburgh, and and the uh, newscasters were talking to all these couples, and they were same-sex couples. And and what every one of them said is, love won today, love prevailed today, love triumphed today, love always does. Now, here's what you need to hear very, very clearly. What happened on Friday was that five human beings decided to change a reality that has been around since God created the heavens and the earth. They did not do that. All they did was change the law of America. That's all they did. They didn't change what marriage is. They changed what the legal definition of marriage is. That's all they did. And, and when it comes to love, do those two women that said love triumph or those two men that said love triumph, did they believe that? They believed that with all their hearts. But you can be sincere in what you believe and be sincerely wrong. And, and here's the thing. Many of you know that right now my younger daughter, you know, she and I are disagreeing on this particular matter vehemently. And I love her with all of my heart. And I would take a bullet for her today, tomorrow, forever, as long as I'm alive. But she's wrong. And, and what she's doing is not helping her. It's not helping society. It's certainly not advancing the cause of the kingdom of God. And in our lives, and this is the thing we need to understand, when we're right, we don't need to yell. I've heard a lot of Christians yelling over the last two days. You know, God's going to judge America. God is judging America. He's judging Russia. He's judging, you know, Iraq, Iran. Every, he's going to judge every nation. But it's going to be one-on-one for the most part. We're all going to be judged 
for the works we've done in this life, whether good or evil. It says that right in the book. Each of us is going to stand in front of Jesus one at a time. And our nations, yes, our nations can be judged. Interesting thing, the Muslim nations would agree with what we agree with if we agree with what the Bible teaches about marriage. Muslims aren't always wrong. Christians aren't always right. God is always right. God is always right. There's only one way to heaven. It's always been the same. will always be the same. Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when we are doing what we're going to do today, tomorrow, the next day, about all of this stuff that's going on in America, my prayer is that we who know the secret will not keep it secret. That we will let the truth and the love of Jesus prevail in our lives. Because when I was a young preacher, if I was preaching something I wasn't too sure, you know what I did? I yelled. Weak point. Yell louder. I seek to never do that anymore. First of all, I seek not to preach on weak points. And certainly I don't need to yell. Because the truth of God will prevail, has always prevailed, is going to prevail. And one day, every person in this room, whether you believe it or not, you're going to stand in front of Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, my goal is that will be the best day of your eternity. And if it isn't the best day of your eternity, it'll be the worst day of your eternity. And so we have, I don't know how much time we have. Are we living in the last days? Sure we are. Is Jesus coming back today? I don't think so, but maybe he will. I don't know. There's no T at the end of my name. And even he didn't know. Right? This is what I know. I'm ready. This is what I know. If you've been coming to New Life, you ought to be ready. This is what I know. There are at least 4 billion people on the planet who are not ready. And I can't sleep knowing that truth and do nothing about it. You see, I'm, 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 I'm heartbroken for our nation right now. I am. I'm heartbroken for people who haven't experienced the love of God in their lives, in their own families, or in situations that would allow them to understand that the truth of God and the love of God together will always win in their lives. And I know people very close to me who ought to know that. But for whatever reason, they don't right now. You see, the commitment today is a very simple commitment. It says, I will live freely because I have God's secret plan in me. I will live freely because I have God's secret plan in me. Freedom has been defined many different ways. But in Jesus Christ, what freedom means is no human law, no human prison, no human anything can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus or you. Nothing ever that will be formed in the way of a human weapon or a spiritual weapon can stand against us if we're standing in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. I am truly free. You are truly free only when Christ is in you because that's the hope of glory. Christ in you and me, that's the hope of glory. And that's going to be the truth. <laughs> it is the truth, was the truth, will always be the truth no matter what happens. So you can go out today and be sad, and, and it's okay to be sad. You can go out today and, and, and you can feel like, you know, our nation's going to hell in a handbasket. And on outward appearance, it is. And you can give up and say, I just hope Jesus comes back. I'm not giving up. Because I'm free. And I want everybody to experience that freedom. 
So here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus today, if you're in here in this room today, and you don't know the freedom that Jesus Christ can give, it's simple, not easy, but simple. All you have to do is let Jesus Christ become everything. He has to become your Lord, which means owner, your Savior, Savior which means he saves you from sin and death. And just say, come on in, take over. And if you do that, according to what we just read, the secret is, <laughs> no secret, now Christ is in you. You're born again. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and your life can be forever changed. And you can have a ripple effect that may not impact a nation, or it may. That may not impact your own family, or it may. But one thing it will impact is the moment that you stand in front of Jesus. It's never going to be easy from this point on. Never going to be easy. There are going to be people that don't like you. There always have been people that don't like people that <laughs> speak the truth, even in love. You know, Justice Alito, one of the dissenting justices, said that the people who have won are going to vilify those of us who don't hold to their opinion. I agree with that. But it's really hard to vilify somebody who loves you. It's really hard to vilify somebody who holds their truth in love. That's what I've learned. I know a lot of homosexual people who don't agree with me. But I don't know a lot of them that hate me. Because I don't hate them. You see, the love of God in Christ Jesus. Man, that's our hope of our glory. Let's pray. Heavenly God, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are God. I thank you that whether people agree or don't agree, your life is the only life that's truly life. I thank you that today we have the opportunity to have the hope of glory in our lives. And I thank you that as we go out from this place today, you have called us to be salt and light, and we can do that. Not in our own power, but in our own power plus your power. And it's really your power that matters. So God, I pray today that we will indeed let you reign, rule, lead in our lives. That you may be glorified and that the world may know that there is a God who has a son whose name is Jesus. Who loves us beyond compare. And who offers the only life that will ever mean anything, now and forever. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.